0: Okay, looks like we've got um, thirty-four participants. So let's get started, guys. I'll welcome everybody to our Cornerstone Ministry, the the second iteration of our Cornerstone Ministry. I'm glad to see all of you guys, and really encouraged just to see so many people um, wanting to spend their Sunday afternoons just spending more time hearing the Word and learning from the Word. And particularly, you know, I know that many people could have plans on a Valentine's Day, so really, really encouraged to see everybody here. Um, just to Now, give you a reminder, Cornerstone is really an extension of the word of um, the ministry of the word and prayer that um, on Sundays. And of course, that starts with our Sunday morning service. But that also continues into this afternoon session as well so that we can really pour the word into you guys um, in preparation for the upcoming week. Because, you know, once a week starts, a lot of times we can be hit with an onslaught of, um, you know, worldliness and, and things coming our way. So we do wanna make sure that, you know, we have the truths in our minds, fresh in our minds to combat those things. Um, this week we will be also kicking off um, our membership classes as well. So this session serves as what will become our membership curriculum. I know that most of you here are already members of the church, but we do have a few people who are interested in membership and this is an opportunity for them to go through that material as well. So uh, this ser- sort of serving a dual purpose, but I'll tell you as someone who has you know joined the membership team and had the privilege of sitting through these classes, several times. It's always a good time just because I need to be reminded of the things that I'm committed to as a member. And uh, it's always good to be reminded of those things from the word so that, you know, I can be uh, a member of the church the way that God wants me to be. So with that, um, I would like to ask a few of us to share. So hopefully in the few minutes um, when I let you guys know that we're doing that, you had a, a chance to kind of jot down some uh, some thoughts you want to share. So David, Sue, I am going to have you share first, um, one thing, you know, the Lord's teaching you or you're you're thankful for, and one prayer request. Okay. Hello. Um, so one thing that I am, um, thankful for and that the Lord is currently teaching me right now is, um, to growing, to become a better leader, uh, more specifically to being, um, Uh, gentle and kind but also firmly grounded in truth Um, and then a prayer request is um, as uh, I kick off this year uh, that uh, both Bonnie and I that we would both continue to grow in our knowledge of the truth and as we begin and plan um, our next phase in life specifically wedding so there's that. And we'll be glad to support you guys in prayer for that. Thank you for sharing. Um, next, we have got one representative from uh, the Ringwood house over there. So if I could um, have one representative come and um, looks, like, uh, looks like Will there is trying to solicit some uh, volunteers here. So if we get a one person, maybe come close to the mic there so we can hear you and share one thing that you're either learning or thankful for and one prayer request.
1: have any takers or any volunteers okay um i guess i'll share that um yeah i think uh yeah one thing i'm thankful for is uh um well there's a lot to be thankful for um i think i'm just thankful for just being able to live with guys who really take uh pursuing holiness very seriously um and i'm really thankful that um yeah you know we're um I think, uh, yeah, just really serious about radically amputating sin in our lives. And, um, and yeah, and and that's, um, something that is only possible through the power of the Holy spirit and, um, and what God has done in our lives, um, to pursue him and to not uh, be tempted uh, by our flesh. Um, I think, uh, I think one thing I'm learning personally is like just how, And I think, you know, we kind of, uh, at least I heard that from today with like what happened with uh, Ravi Zacharias and sort of the, um, the things that unfolded after his death. And I think that really shows like how, when sin really takes a deep root in your heart and, you know, you can conceal it very well and you can kind of hide it from everyone, but, um, you ultimately can't hide that from God and, Um, and yeah, I, I first heard about it like in the sermon today and I was just really kind of saddened that, you know, um, something like that can happen to people who, um, who we may look up to as like, you know, as like Christian, um, you know, leaders who are esteemed and so forth. And so I think, um, I think it just goes to show that no one's invincible from sin and how much we need Christ and really the, the calling to obey Christ by, um, pursuing holiness and radically amputating sin in our lives and to not um let the devil have a foothold you know over our hearts um and so um so yeah so i think that's a reminder for me and something that i'm being reminded of um constantly which is the consequences of sin and how um yeah just how how dangerous it is um yeah um i think one thing that you could be praying for is. Um, Uh, yeah, I think just for uh, pursuing holiness and for uh, this joyful submission uh, to Christ and to um, and to obey him and for him to have complete lordship over over my life. Um, Yeah, those are a couple things. Great.
0: Thank you, Will, for sharing with us. Um, Alice, I have you up next.
2: Um, something that God has been teaching me lately that I'm thankful for is he's just been using a lot of circumstances, um, in my life. Uh, I guess one specific example is like work, uh, as a means to reveal my pride, um, for us at work right now, it's like a, it's performance review season. So, um, it's a season of comparison and like really workspace, oriented thinking. And um, I'm just really thankful for the, um, you know, Lagos teaching this past week around like, you know, false prophets and how to guard our hearts and and think biblically. Uh, And so even like small things in the day to day can really um, impact my own thinking. And God is showing me how to renew my mind daily with his word to correct my thinking and Um, especially when it comes to like my identity and work or entitledness uh, to certain like things uh, whether it's material or just like recognition. Um, God is really revealing my own heart of pride Um, and so that's really tied into my prayer request is just to really trust in God's provision in my life. It's not based off of my works or merits or um, my deeds at work, but just really trusting that, you know, God is the one who provides all things for me. And I don't need to like claw my way or fight for, um, you know, recognition, um, and whatnot. And yeah, just to have that humility to, to be able to trust in the Lord.
0: Yeah. Thank you for sharing, Alice. And, uh, Last, we've got uh, Eric and Angela. So if you guys can um, share, um, both of you can share if you'd like, or you can share um, with each other as well.
1: Yep. Sounds good. Um, so for me, um, just praise, you know, many things to be um, thankful for, but I think one thing um, just recently is with, the, you know, we had a COVID outbreak at work and, um, you know, thankfully um, I remained healthy throughout most of that time. And, um, you know, as of right now, I'm still healthy. we Um, I'm able to, I guess you could say, come out of isolation for a little bit of time right now. So I'm pretty thankful for that and just to be,
0: um,
1: you know, just to be healthy. Um, I think prayer would be um, just for diligence in the word and um, seeking God through, um, you know, through the word and through prayer and um, knowing, you know, how to lead both Angela and I in our relationship and knowing how to, um, you know, come across those daily um, challenges in our daily walk. Hi, everyone.
3: Uh, so yeah, I think something I'm thankful for is that similar to Alice um, was sharing, that our walk with God is not dependent on our circumstances and that even when um, life is difficult to merit trials, that we can still be um drawing near to the Lord and walking well with him. Um so I think even from last week, talking about how every day um we're to be seeking the Lord um and considering that as our daily bread, I think um really took to heart because, um, and this will lead into my prayer request that uh, tomorrow is actually my last day at my current job. And so if you know me, that's something I've been talking about for a really long time, (laughs) but um, it's finally happening and we'll be starting a new job in the beginning of March. So I think to see that as um, somewhere the Lord has placed me and to continue um, being a witness and not um, seeing it as somewhere where I need to prove my merits um, or, you know, just, I guess, yeah, be people focused, but, um, that it would be a place where God can continue to grow me and use me, um, in that, in that place.
0: Great. Thanks for sharing guys. Um, so I would love to be able to just pray for, um, you know, our time today and also for the people who shared and some of the requests that have come up. So, um, let's all bow our heads together and, and let's pray. Father God, we come before you and we are so thankful, Lord, for the chance that we have to come together and to learn from your word. Your word is truth and your word is what feeds us, Lord, um, so that we can be a light um, in our workplace. We can be a light in our families. We can be a light wherever there is darkness, Lord. So we thank you for that opportunity and we thank you for just uh, the chance to hear from different people within the church and um, some of the things that you are doing in their lives. I know that now is a time where so many of us have been um, separated from one another, and it's been difficult to just know how other people are doing and to hear about the Lord's good work in people's lives. So we thank you for just the chance to hear from people, but also for the chance to pray for people. Lord, one of the ministries that we have um, to one another as a church is to pray for one another and to lift up either the burdens or the joys or the requests, Um the things that uh, each of us are going through, Lord, for one another. And we are grateful for every opportunity that we get to do that. Father, I just pray for David. I just thank you for the ways that you're growing him in the knowledge of the truth. And I just pray that you would continue to do that. And particularly as he and Bonnie enter a new season and um, put together some plans, Lord, uh, for the next phase of life, Lord, I just pray that all of those plans would be informed by just a wisdom from your word pray for Will. I thank you, Lord, for placing him in a place with other men who are pursuing holiness, Lord, and I just pray that as he considers his life, that it's not just lived before men, but it's also lived before you, and that that would play itself out in um, him making no room or no provision for sin in his own life, Lord. Father, I pray for Alice um, in the circumstances that she's going through at work right now. We know that it can be difficult and particularly during a performance review season when it's all about the world and all about the flesh and what can we do and what can we accomplish, Lord, in ourselves. And I just pray that you would help her and to remind her continually, Lord, that she has her worth and her value in what Christ has done on the cross, Lord, and that cannot be taken away. And you are also God who provides for everything that we need um, in this life as well. So just pray that you will remind her of that whenever she needs it. Uh, Father for Eric, I just thank you so much, Lord, for keeping him safe and protected during the COVID outbreak um, at his workplace, Lord. And I just thank you, Lord, that uh, he no longer has to remain in isolation, Lord, even more so than we are uh, already. And I just pray that you would continue to give him diligence in seeking out your, your will through your word. Um, and also for Angela, I also pray the same, that you, you would give her diligence in seeking out your will, um, not just in the circumstances and trying to improve circumstances, Lord but knowing that the best circumstance is to be uh, where you want her in terms of submission, obedience, and trusting in you. Um, We also just pray that as um, this will, it will be her last day at her job, Lord. I just pray that uh, you would be with her and that you would be with her for this next leg of the journey and the transition to whatever's next. So thank you again, Lord, for the opportunity that we have to be together. May your word do its work um, during this next uh, teaching time. And with the, with the church be blessed. We pray this in Jesus name amen all right thanks to all who shared and with that like to just hand it off um, to mark and mark will take us through the next portion here
4: all right um thank you kevin and thanks for everybody who shared your prayer request it's just kind of a real sweet thing for me just personally just to have um time with you on a sunday afternoon and uh also um you know, just to hear your prayer requests, it's neat every week, what an uncool thing, neat, but anyways, it's a, it's a neat thing to, uh, or, you know, just to hear individual prayer requests and get to pray for you, each one of you, I think one of the burdens as a pastor, I'm sure the elders feel this way, is to get time with each of you, especially as the church grows, but I do want you to know that the elders do pray for you uh, frequently, together and throughout the week as things come up and we don't do it as a burden it's really just such a really great joy to do so Um, and it's a delight it's part of being the family of god and even uh, as exciting as that is to pray for you what's amazing is we get a front row seat to see god answer those prayers and i think that's been an amazing thing um, that the lord's been doing in the elders lives over the last, you know, several months, is he's allowed us to see uh, many of these prayer requests get answered in amazing ways. Of course, the Lord was always going to answer them, but we weren't aware of it, and sometimes you do pray, I have to admit, not being sure or sort of, okay, Lord, would you do this, because you pray very much out of need, Uh, but, uh, you know, and then the Lord is so gracious, even when we and I lack faith, and I'm just saying, Lord, this person needs help, and you're praying for them, and then when he answers that prayer, it's such a humbling um, event before the Lord, and uh, it's something that we want to talk about a little bit today. Our, Our topic this morning, this morning, this afternoon, it's been a long day, this afternoon is on discipleship, okay, and that's what our church stands for And it's what our church allegedly is all about and we want to address this issue what does it really mean to be a disciple of jesus christ and i sort of sliced that in half and said okay uh it also asks the question do you know jesus like i do because there are many people who say they're disciples there are many programs for discipleship there are many people who say they know jesus but what does it really mean to be a disciple what does it really mean to know jesus as a disciple. And that's something I'd I'd like for us to consider today. And as we get started, I'm going to ask someone or anyone if you could read Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20 for us. Matthew 28, verse 16 to 20. And while someone reads that, I'm going to switch over the screen and uh, put just a few PowerPoints up. It's going to be brief this afternoon. And uh, afterwards, I'll jump into that. Michael Fong, I see you. Can you read for us? Are you able to do that?
0: Yes. Uh, You said uh, chapter 28, verse 16 through 20?
4: Yes, please.
0: All right. Uh, Verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And Behold, I am with you always to
4: the end of the age. Thank you. Okay. Here's a few questions I'd like us to consider this afternoon. And uh, what you can do is if you have questions, if you can type them into the chat box and Hopefully we'll have a little time to answer them, but Jesus makes this statement. Obviously he's risen from the grave and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so I want to just put that question, what is going and baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? What does that have to do with being a disciple? Now, if I was to go to you and say, okay, how many of you say you're disciples of Jesus Christ? I believe, you know, knowing most of you, that most of you would raise your hand, okay? I hope most of you would raise your hand, okay, that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then there's this saying that Jesus says, well, go and baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go make disciples. So the question is, okay, if you're not going... And you're not making disciples, and you're not baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and you're not teaching them to observe everything he's commanded, are you really a disciple? Okay, and I just want to throw that question out, and I hope as we go through our discussion this afternoon that this is something that we can answer. And it's important because I want to focus in on this issue of believers' baptism. Okay, what does believer's baptism have to do with being a disciple? What does it have to do with making disciples? Because it really becomes a dividing line. Are we disciples of men or are we disciples of God? Okay, disciples of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is God. And I push that because believer's baptism explains what it means to be a disciple. It explains what it means to be a Christian, and it explains what it means to be a member of the local church, okay? Now, I I know that's an awful lot, but uh, let me hopefully give you an illustration that I I hope helps address this. When I first started dating Julie, quote-unquote dating, okay? I guess dating, you could say, is a secular term, all right? Uh, So Pastor Mark here is equating dating with discipleship, Oh my goodness. Okay. When I, the very first date I had with Julie, when it ended, and afterwards you can talk to Julie because you might get a slightly different perspective. Okay. There might be several gospel events of basically what happened. When we finished, I tried to be a gentleman and I offered to walk her to her car um, in the parking lot. Men, you should always walk, ladies, whether they're your wives or whoever, to the car, okay? Morning, afternoon, or evening, and make sure that they get safely away. But I offered, would you like me to walk you to your car? And my wife, my now my wife, at that time, not my wife, uh, graciously and politely said, no, thank you. Okay? Now, you can talk to Julie and find out why it was that she declined. To allow me to walk her to her car, okay. Um, but I'll say one thing up front, and and women, you have complete right to tell men not to walk you to your cars, okay. She didn't know me terribly well, okay, and it was unclear where things were going to go in the relationship, and it was unclear, or it was very clear to her that she did not want me to walk her to her car. Okay. Fast forward several months later, I'm on my knee with a ring in my hand and a ring box, which I can't get open on the beach at Santa Monica. And uh, I'm asking her, Will you marry me? Okay. And by God's grace, she said yes. I will marry you, okay? And and as we think about that and that offer and that time that moment, even as I'm fumbling and I don't have it together in comparison to that first day when we went out for our very first date and, and I tried to walk her to her car and I thought, okay, I know everything that I need to do. The second time when I'm proposing to her with that, I couldn't even get the ring box open. And she says, I do, okay? My proposal to you is at that moment in time on the beach, Julie, knew me much better and in a very different way than she did when I first met her on that very first date. Fast forward 11 years later, okay? Julie and I, by God's grace, have been married for 11 years now, okay? And I would propose to you, and you can ask Julie, especially as she delightfully left me a box of coffee and uh, chocolates this morning for Valentine's Day, which I discovered at 4.30 in the morning when I crawled into the kitchen to do sermon prep, okay? And I was like, oh, who got me this? So I hit the jackpot for Valentine's Day, okay? Um, I would propose to you after 11 years of being married that she knows me significantly better than she did on that first day when I said, can I walk you to your car? Okay. And and we have to step back and say, okay, why is that? Is it just an issue of time? It's because she's known me for 11 years that she knows these things. She's aware of me. And I'm going to say to you, absolutely not. In fact, I've met people who've been married for 11 years and quite frankly, they know each other uh, not significantly better. I would say. They might know people's habits. They might know people's patterns, but really understanding a person's heart, what makes them tick, okay? So much of that is framed by a relationship of love that is bound by commitment. I don't think Julie would know me, not that I'm anything special, but if she had never said, I do, and if she had never committed to being married to me, if she'd never committed to taking my name and becoming a part of my life, Okay, Uh, Would it be the same relationship if she was just a friend from college or a friend from high school or a friend from church who I'd known for 10 or 11 years? You know, what's the answer to that? Well, that's obviously it's it's there's a huge difference. And I want to propose to you that discipleship is really a dividing line. It's a dividing line about the lordship of Christ. And I think this is something that people rarely, rarely see. Do we really know Jesus as a disciple, or do we know him as a fan? Do we know him as someone who has come to us and said, come and follow me, and we've said I do, and we become a part of his life, or do we simply know him as someone we hear about at church every Sunday, okay? If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Luke, let's see, chapter four and I'm gonna ask someone to read Luke 4, verses 38 through 511. I'll give Michael Fong a break, okay? Will Wu, you're on my screen. Would you be so kind as to read Luke 4, 38 through 511?
1: Okay, so this is Luke 4 38 through 511. Is that correct? Yes, please. Okay. Um cool. uh, Luke 438 through 511. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him. And he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons um, also came out of many, crying, you are the son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew that he was the Christ. And when it was uh, day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and caught and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of uh, uh, Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked them to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Thanks, Will. You know, when Jesus' ministry
4: just starts, and, and, and if you know me, these are passages that I go through fairly frequently, Okay. There are many people who hear him preach and teach and do miracles. And Simon Peter is one of them. And in chapter four, in fact, Simon Peter's actually even there, not only during his ministry, but he witnesses mo- his mother being miraculously healed. Jesus comes in and stays at his home. And yet, let me ask you this. In chapter four, how many of you would say Peter is a disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? I think Luke is pretty clear, okay, even though we know how this story is going to end, that at that point, it's at least we could say bare minimum, it's unclear whether Peter's actually a disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he's certainly not one of the 12, which uh, comes a little bit later in chapter 6, okay, where Peter's designated as one of the 12. And I just want to highlight that, You know, we don't observe that in the flow of the story frequently, but there were many people, and there are many people, who can come to church on a regular basis. There are many people who could actually even be a member of the church, all right, quote-unquote, and sit there and hear and listen and see amazing things, hear amazing stories, see God do a mighty work in people's lives, be convinced that Jesus is Lord, and yet they don't know Jesus the way Peter does from Luke 5 onwards, okay, or from Matthew 4 onwards? What's the transition? What happens in Peter's life that makes a difference? And it brings, you know, comes to the first point on the screen. Discipleship begins and ends with whose word, whose work, and whose will. Is it ours or Jesus? You know, very clearly in Peter's life, it's Jesus' word, That comes very broadly, but then becomes very personal, where Jesus very specifically gets into Peter's boat and gives him a command. And even then, when Peter responds to him and he casts out, is Peter really a disciple or is he just, okay, here's this teacher, here's this guy I know, here's this person, he's asked me to do it, I'll do it. Just because we're doing what people in the church ask us to do does not necessarily mean or quote unquote, a disciple. But there's a transition that happens as you get to verses five and six of chapter five. And it's interesting. Jesus comes and says, hey, will you put the boat out as far as and deep water, let your nets down for a catch. And Simon, who's the fisherman, says to Jesus, who's from Nazareth, right? It's not from the, the, the coast area. Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing, but I will do as you say and let down the nets. Okay, there's not a huge amount of confidence here because Peter's a professional fisherman. You know, what do you know? Why are you doing this? And clearly they're surprised. And there's this transition that happens in Peter's life after this, where they go out, this miracle happens. The boats are filled so much so that they begin to sink. It's very clear. This is not subtle. There's not like a couple of fish or it could be, or maybe this is a coincidence. The Lord is making it very clear. There's a supernatural miracle here. Jesus is the creator and Lord over heaven and earth and everything that's in the Sea of Galilee, even every fish who's accounted for there. And we see what happens. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. There's this pivot point that comes where Simon Peter is aware of his sinfulness, that he should not be in the same vicinity as Jesus. He's afraid. OK, he's shaken to the core. He refers to him as Lord and he is aware of of how sinful he is. We do not come into the presence of Jesus and know who he is without being convicted of how sinful we are, okay? You can know that there's a Bible written about him. You can know that there's stories about him. You can know that the church is about him. I'm going to propose to you, has he really entered your life and gotten into your boat and spoken to you? and you're not aware that our primary problem is our sin problem, okay? And the sweetness of what happens, obviously, is Jesus doesn't go away from him, all right? In fact, Jesus continues to pursue him. Do not fear. Verse 10, from now on you will be catching men, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him, okay? Discipleship, begins and ends with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's what's a miracle about it. And that's what's so amazing about it. And it's something that transforms and changes our life into a children of God. What is the purpose of discipleship? In verses 10 and 11, and we'll see in verse 32, there's a very, very clear purpose. And in chapter 10, or excuse me, verse 10, okay, Jesus makes this statement. Do not fear from now on you will be catching men that part of the purpose of discipleship is our lives would be transformed and we would become part of Jesus' life and ministry. A disciple is part of Jesus' life and ministry. It's not part-time, I'll meet you back at the house, okay? Uh, I'm gonna carry on with my fishing job, Jesus, and when you're back in town in Galilee, look me up and you can stay at our place, okay? It's very much like a, a marriage like Jesus is proposing, okay, to uh, Peter and to the disciples and saying, I want you to be part of my life. Are you going to be part of my life? And they say, I do. All right. And then there's the purpose of Simon Peter being transformed. From now on, you will be catching men or in Matthew, I will make you fishers of men that the Lord Jesus is going to transform who he is. And then verse 11, this idea of leaving everything and following him. Discipleship, the purpose of discipleship is that we would leave everything in this world and follow Jesus to be with him. Fellowship with Christ, okay? Now pop over on your next page or um, to verses 27 through 32, okay? And and Kevin, could you read that for us? Chapter 5, verses 27 to 32, and this is Matthew becoming a disciple
0: sure thing Matthew 5 or sorry Luke 5 starting in verse 27 is that correct yes after this he went out and saw a tax collector called Levi sitting at the tax booth and he said to him follow me and leaving everything he rose and followed him and Levi made him a great feast in his house and there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at the table with them and the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance.
4: Thank you, Kevin. You know, the, the point I want to make and highlight here, okay, so this is Matthew, the tax collector, becoming a disciple. Location is different. Setting is different circumstances are different. And he's certainly not a fisherman, he's a wealthy tax collector, and yet the heart of it is exactly the same. You may be called in different ways, Christ may save you in different ways, but the end point is always the same. And as we say, okay, well, what's the purpose of discipleship? Well, Matthew throws a feast for Jesus and he invites his friends who are all sinners, and it's for the purpose so that they can spend time with Jesus. And I think very clearly, one of the things that hi- that's highlighted in verse 32, part of the purpose of discipleship is that we as sinners will be healed. We're sick. Our sin is our core problem. It affects our marriages, our walk with God, our work, even what was just shared in our prayer time. You know, as Alice and the others shared, uh, and Angela shared about work and the challenges in work, okay, and, and that realization, look, we may change jobs, we may be in different places, we may have different employers. But the challenge at work continues to be the same, and part of that problem is related to what exists in our heart, and we wrestle with that, and we struggle with that. The idea of discipleship, the purpose of discipleship, is that Christ would heal us, and that healing and forgiveness of our sin, that we're sick, would take place with Jesus, not away from him. Okay, it's for the purpose of repentance. Repentance is a primary purpose of discipleship, being healed. And repentance is a primary way in which Christ heals us and sets us free from our sin. So if you say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ and there's an ongoing pattern of sin that is not changing or you don't want to let go of, we have to really raise the question mark. Are you truly a disciple of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Let me stir the pot a little bit. Was Ravi Zacharias a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, the world and the Lord will have to answer that. But when there's an extended period of time of being in bondage to a life-dominating sin that is destroying your own life and destroying other people's lives, I can come out and say, I don't think it was Jesus he was following. Okay? Because when we come to God's word, the purpose of discipleship is a life with Christ and a life like Christ. Okay. And that's transformed by the joy of bringing people to be with Christ. So that brings us to the third point on my screen. What is the blessing of discipleship? The blessing of discipleship is being part of Jesus' life, of being with Jesus, of walking with him and following him. That is a joy and a blessing and a privilege. It's not being part of a church meal. It's not being an elder. It's not being a pastor. It's not being able to preach or teach. It's our fellowship with Christ. And I think this is something that we miss out on. And I want to exhort this to you. We talked about it in Psalm 73. The greatest sweetness and joy a true disciple will ever have is time spent with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is why we open our Bibles in the morning before we go to work that is why we pray, that is why we gather together on a Sunday afternoon. Yes, it's sweet for me to see you, but what makes this special is where two or three are gathered in Christ's name, he is there in the midst of us, even in a Zoom situation like this. It's fellowship, and when we walk away and our hearts are filled, it's not just because we got a chance to spend some time with some nice people, it's that Christ himself, has promised to be present in a unique and special way, and he fills our heart. Is there a reason why when we walk away, we should, let's say, feel convicted about sin? That's not a bad thing. That's a blessing of being in the presence of Christ. It's what disturbs me when I'm doing counseling and I encounter guys, uh, you know, because I'm counseling guys, not women, okay? But when I'm encountering guys and there's great sin on the Lord's day, or there's great sin in a day right after there's a Bible study. That's a huge red flag for me, not to stand in condemnation of someone, but to say, wow, they don't know Jesus like I know Jesus. If they knew Jesus and are a part of his life and are walking and following him, the reaction of Peter in Luke 5 would be the reaction of being in proximity of Christ, it's like, depart from me, I am a sinful man, to be a terror, because there's an awareness, like Joseph, that Christ is present. And at least the fear of God would would be there. The flip side of that is of, you know, as I, you know, said as an example, calling Ricardo up after he's had his window broken, and the only thing he can tell me about is the joy of having spent the weekend at our church. You know, and what an encouragement that has been to him, especially as he and his family have been isolated during COVID in a small trailer and and just, you know, in a place where they have to travel to different churches and to be with our church and our family. The overwhelming joy from him is the presence of Christ, that he got to experience Christ in a way that you can only experience in a local church that weekend with us and that overshadowed, okay? What's the blessing of discipleship? It's the joy of being with Christ, okay? And I'm going to close out with this. What is the proof of discipleship? What is the proof of discipleship? Now, I deceived you a little bit. This last point actually goes into my next slide, okay? But we have to say, okay, the proof of discipleship is proof or evidence that you've actually spent time with Jesus in the way that Peter has that there's a committed relationship, that he's Lord, that you've encountered him, that he's entered into your life, he's called you into fellowship with him, and that your life is increasingly part of his, okay? And so there's this distinguished, there's this distinction between saving faith versus familiarity. I know about President Biden, but I don't know President Biden. I don't have a relationship with him. If he asked me to do something, I'll do it, okay? but it's not like President Biden or I are buds, okay? Obedience and submission to his word. Is there obedience and submission to his word as Lord, okay? If you know Jesus like I do, if you've been a disciple, if you're part of his life, the pattern of your life is going to be obedience and submission to his word is going to be the priority of your life, not other things. Repentance from sin, that's another one leaving everything and everyone to follow Jesus as Lord. In evangelism outreach, inevitably you bump into and reach out to folks who say they're believers. And what's not an uncommon phenomenon is you'll find out that there's certain believers who are living with their girlfriends. That's that they profess to know Jesus. They say, hey, I'm a believer. And you find out they're living with their girl and they're not married. And over time, you come and you bring them out to the church and you hope you they hear the gospel, but sooner rather than later, you say, you know what? You're in a relationship and you're doing something that's contrary to the word of God, and it becomes a fork in the road. Are they going to obey Christ, or are they going to continue to do something that's contrary to what we clearly see in God's word? Church discipline is the same situation. Usually as we go through church discipline at our church, we've asked people two, three times. We've met together with them, groups of people, and say, look, it's not just me. There's a group of people at the church who are increasingly seeing that there's a pattern of sin in your life, and you need to turn to Jesus, and you need to let go of this. If they are unwilling to leave their sin, okay, they are not following Jesus, And that's when, in love, we've got to say, look, who's really Lord of your life? Is it you or is it Jesus? Okay, and in the back of the MacArthur Study Bible, there's a list there that goes through false assurances of salvation and true assurances of salvation. And I I just want to encourage you, I know this was originally designed for people who are considering whether they should become a member of the church, but I think believers should do this on a regular basis. They should do this on a regular basis and go through and see where is my assurance of my relationship with Christ coming from. Okay. False assurance of men. Visible morality. Okay. Respectable. Okay. I don't do drugs. I don't drink. I don't sleep around. I don't do A, B, C, D, and E. Intellectual knowledge. I know a lot of information about Jesus. Religious activity. There's a lot of, I serve at church, I teach at Sunday school, I'm a pastor, I'm an elder. Conviction of sin, oh yes, I'm a sinner, I've got a lot of sin in my life, I feel terrible about my sin, okay? If you go to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, many of those people have conviction of sin. Not everybody is necessarily a disciple of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Profession of faith and decision, okay? Now I want you to look at this, I'm gonna use this as an example. Ravi Zacharias could take off on all of these things. Visible morality, yes. Everybody who see it, the people who saw him, they didn't see what was going on privately. Intellectual knowledge, better than most of us. Better than me, better than all of us, okay? Could talk to you about Jesus and details about scripture, and if you gave answers, could correct you a 100 times over. Me too. Religious activity, way off the charts. Fruitfulness of ministry, people who came to know Jesus through him off the charts. We will never touch. I will never touch Ravi Zacharias for the stadiums and the amount of places of people who came to know the Lord Jesus through that ministry, okay? Conviction of sin, you listen to his lectures, talks about it a fair amount, okay? Profession of faith and decision, you know that that's clearly there. But what was the nature of his relationship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? And I'm not coming and saying he's not saved. What I am saying is, is during this period of time where there's a pattern of life dominating sin that he could not leave according to his lawyers and what was found on his cell phone and on his computer and what his organization has publicly come out and said okay during that period. All of these things are false assurances and yet, if you look to it, maybe you look to it to feel better about yourself and, in fact, what we do very frequently is we look to these things to make us feel better about ourselves and we're just deceiving ourselves and digging ourselves into a deeper pit. Fruit of saving faith, what are some of the evidences? Sacrificial, submitted, and selfless love for Christ and his church. On the Nine Marks podcast, there's a Nine Marks podcast, which is done on uh, should pastors resign if they struggle with pornography. And they interview a pastor who struggled with pornography and finally came to uh, the leadership of his church. And they asked him on a Sunday evening in a small town to come out and to confess his sin before the church and to address it publicly before the church. And he was willing to do so. And it was in a small town, the word got out in that small town and everybody from all the other churches decided to show up because this was gonna be the major event in that small town. And you know what, regardless of the fact that maybe that wasn't very cool or the right way to handle things as far as the church went, he still did it. And he talks about it was the worst thing in his life, but the most necessary thing. Because he said, that night I died. My reputation was destroyed. Everybody knew it was out there, but I needed to die in order to live with Christ. Okay sacrificial submitted and selfless love for Christ and his church. I'm willing to do it because this is for Christ and this is for his church. Repentance from sin and joyful obedience to his word. Oh, so rough, so difficult. This is so challenging. You know, I have to let go of this person or this situation or this friend. Is Christ worth more? Separation from the world and a hunger for prayer and the word. Okay, when we struggle to be in the word and prayer, yes, that's our flesh. When that becomes the pattern of our life over a period of time, we've got to ask ourselves, okay, who's Lord of my life? Who's present in my life? Is it the world or is it Christ? A new and transformed life that is increasingly like Jesus. Is the pattern of my life over time increasingly becoming like Jesus? Why? Because a disciple, okay, is a child of God. And a child of God is a member of Christ's family. The local church is the household of God. It's the family of God. And there's only two ways to get into a family or to become officially part of a family. What are they? It's up there in the screen. You're either born into that family or you're adopted into that family. Okay, so I share this with my boys. There are people who come over and stay at our home, but they leave at the end of the weekend. They're friends, we love them, but they're not part of our family. They're not eating with us on a regular basis. They're not participating in all the problems and the ups and downs. They're friends, they're not family, okay? There's only two ways into the family. You're either born or you're adopted. Otherwise, you're not legit and legal, okay? To be a disciple is to be a child of God. You're either born into the family by the power of God or you're adopted. Both of them happen by the power of God. Both illustrations are used in scripture. If you're born in and you're adopted, then guess what? You're a member of the family. You're a member of the household of God. There is no such thing in scripture as you go through from beginning to end and progressively see how Christ Jesus works through the gospel. He makes this point. By the end of the gospels, A disciple is clearly someone who is a member of the local church. It's someone who's a member of Christ's ecclesia, his family, someone he's died for, he's risen from the grave, and he's put a new heart and a new spirit in. They are part of the family. So you can't be a disciple and and not be a member of the local church at some point. It might not start that way, but that's eventually where the Lord is going to bring you. And ultimately, a disciple is someone who's part of Christ Jesus. You're part of his death and life. You're part of his holiness. You're part of his family. And you're part of his mission and ministry. And that's what baptism has to do with being a disciple. Baptism is an external symbol that's a testimony of having died to the world and being raised with Christ. And now you're adopted into his family and you have a new name, And the name that you have is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The name that's given to you shows that you belong to him and his family and his local church and not the world. Okay, And that brings us to our final question. For all of us, and it's worth doing on a regular basis, this is not just for new believers. Ravi Zacharias should have done this on a regular basis. The people in his board should have been doing it. Our elders need to hold me accountable. Whose family do you belong to? And at the point where it starts to look like we're looking more like the world or more like a politician, we've gotta help one another and we've gotta come to one another and say, look, brother, are you behaving as a child of God? Who are you spending more time with? Who is the joy of your life? Is it your ministry? And ministry can be just as much of an idol as anything else. Is it your work? Okay. You know, all of these things, or is it the Lord? And by extension for us, this is a principle for Christian families as well. And for all of you who are thinking about getting married, or even as we look at our our marriages and our family, it's a scary thing, brothers and sisters, when as men, we start to look more like our work and our families recognize that the greater presence in our life is our work rather than our family the reason why husbands we take pictures of our families on our phone okay hopefully is that when we're at work we're reminded of the most important people in our lives it ain't the people at work right i hope okay it's not your boss okay at the end of the day your boss is important but christ is our king and to that degree for as a disciple as we go into the world to make disciples Okay, like Matthew and Peter, as Christ changes us, we become bright lights. And the joy and desire of our life, because Christ is the one who we love and joy and delight in, because that's what discipleship is about, our presence with him. We're bringing people like Matthew to meet our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the reason we invite people to come to church is because, look, This is the place, this is our family. And when you love people, you invite them home, okay? It was a big step in our relationship when Julie invited me to meet her sister and her brother-in-law, okay? I didn't pat myself on the shoulder. I was probably a little bit nervous, but it was also a blessing. I thought, oh, she's willing to let me meet her family. That's certainly a big leap forward from not being able to walk her to her car, okay? And so, in the same extent, you know, we invite people to church who we love and we're concerned about because we want them to meet the most important people in our lives and the most important person in our life, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. All right, we're at 4:58. Here endeth the lesson. And uh, if you have any questions for the next two minutes, please feel free to type them up. And I will hand off to uh, Kevin Al. and if there are any questions I'm happy to answer, I'm sure Kevin would be happy to answer them too.
0: Absolutely. So yeah, go ahead and post any questions that you may have, and uh, even though we may not have a ton of time to address them now, we'll address the ones that we can, but if there are any, but if we can, we'll make sure that uh, we get back to uh, you guys on that. Um, while we wait for that, if there are any questions, I, I, I do want to invite those of you who are planning on taking the next steps of going through the membership process. As I mentioned, this is a time, uh, the time that we just had this past hour is a time for the whole church to attend. But then there are some of you here that are actively going through the membership process or want to begin that process and want to know what it entails. So we'll be, uh, we invite you guys to stay on for another, um, 20 25 minutes afterwards, for those of you who are going through the membership process or want to go through that process, um, so we can cover our road to membership and tell you about the next steps that we would want you to take to proceed with becoming a member at uh, Lighthouse Bible Church. So if that's you, um, you're invited to stay for the next... uh, you know, 20 minutes or so. Um, But I know that for most of you, you've already gone through this process already. So uh, you don't need to stay for that and you can uh, get on with the rest of your evenings here. Um, I haven't seen any questions pop up in the chat. So um, either people are shy uh, or people have plans on this Valentine's day that they need to get to. So um, let me just close our official time uh, in prayer and then we can dismiss uh, those who aren't sticking around for the second portion. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord. Thank you so much for this reminder from your word about uh, what following you and what being your disciple entails, Lord. I know that my own heart needed to hear this, Lord. And Father, I'm sure that many others here, our hearts needed to hear the same truths, Lord, so that we can not take for granted the gift of salvation, the gift of repentance, and the gift of discipleship that you've extended to us uh, undeservedly, Lord. None of us deserve the privilege of being called um, to be adopted into your family, Lord, but father, you have given up yourself, um, and given us that offer, Lord. So we thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray that we would regularly revisit, um, whether or not our lives are conformed more with the world or we're more conformed with our Lord and savior. Um, so thank you father for the time and for these reminders, these truths, um, and I just pray that uh, this group going on to this re- the rest of this week, Lord, would shine like lights uh, in the midst of a crooked and uh, twisted generation, Lord, that we could represent you to a world who needs you, Lord. So thank you so much for the time again, in Christ's name, amen.